Hello and welcome to Grazia Life Advice, Grazia's brand new podcast brought to you by our friends at Primark. I'm Rhiannon and each week I'll be interviewing women worth listening to and getting them to pass on the six best pieces of advice they've ever been given and the worst piece too. We've got loads of great guests coming up over the weeks and we are thrilled to be able to bring you our very first episode with journalist, writer and podcaster Dolly Alderton. Dolly's had an absolutely amazing year so far. She published her first book, Everything I Know About Love, and it received rave reviews. It was taken to the hearts of millennial women all around the country. It's really warm, it's really relatable, and it got praise from everywhere. Uh, You might also have listened to her podcast. She does love stories where she interviews people. She's done Marion Keys, that's a brilliant episode, and The High Low, which she does with Pandora Sykes. I met Dolly earlier this year at her lovely London flat, and we had an absolutely great chat, all about friends, love, career, everything you could think of and definitely we picked up more than six pieces of advice so you've got a bumper episode for your first grazia life advice she was absolutely brilliant so without further ado over to dolly i'm here with dolly alderton in her lovely flat it's so nice in here thank you this is um this is me doing a quick sweep before you came. Okay. It's looking a little bit more like one of the kind of fresh meat student houses before we arrived. <laughs> you would never think it. And we finally got some sunshine, so I'm really happy about yeah. that. Um, you are having the most amazing year so far. The release of your book early this year it was just phenomenal. Everyone loved it. I mean, how are you finding this year? Is it a bit of a roller coaster? I, I'm just so over the moon. I'm so... Happy. I think I have that that thing that a lot of women have. Maybe people have. I think a lot of women have mm. that I always seem to have whenever within relationships, on a holiday with work. That whenever something is going well, I have this kind of like voice of doom in my head that's mm. like something terrible is about to happen. Yeah. My friend said to me the other day, she was like, "Why are you stressed? Like, what do you think is going to happen?" And I was like, "I feel like." I was like, it's not like I'm Jimmy Savile, but I was like, I feel like there are loads of people out there that have all this evidence that I'm a terrible person mm. and it's going to be like a bit of an Operation U tree. I don't know. <laughs> it's nothing to do with child abuse, but yeah. it's something super bad that's just going to come out and yeah. everything's going to be null and void after that and no one will read my book and everything I've ever done will be kind of rendered useless. And she was like... That sounds so <laughs> stressful. She's like, do you really think that? I was like, yeah, I do. And she's like, but you haven't done anything. It's not like you've buried a body or copied someone's book or done anything bad. But something mm. about my brain is it catastrophizes, catastrophizes so much. Yeah. Even though I don't know specifically why something terrible might be about to happen. I'm just certain it will. I think it's the age we're in as well, isn't it? Because you're always yeah. wondering, what tweet have I done that someone's going to find Christ. from 2010? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're here to share the best advice you've been given mm. uh, so far in your life. I've got your list here. And it's great. It's super positive and I'm really excited to delve into it. So the first piece of advice um, you said is about showing up, basically, which I think is, you know, it sounds simple, but something we could all remember. Tell tell me about that. I think it's Woody Allen who said 50% of success is showing up. Mm -hmm. And I think something that you notice when you create something is when it's out there. This happened to me when I made a short film and it's happened over and over again Mm. with my book, is that people will comment underneath 
my book or they'll do an Amazon review or they'll do a blog post about it and they'll say, oh, I wish I'd written this book. This is a book I could have written. I'm so, it's great, but I'm just, I'm pissed off I didn't get there first. And I think that shows, I think that shows an attitude that separates people who are successful and people who aren't, to speak plainly, because I think everyone has good ideas. I really think that everyone has a propensity for a good idea. Mm. Everyone's got a good story to tell. And I think... It's about just, it's not even about confidence, I think, because so much of the time when I've made stuff, I don't have any, it's not that I'm so certain it's going to go well. I just want to try it. I just can't, I can't bear to not try. Mm. And that I have realised is a huge amount of doing something and doing it well. Yeah. Is just getting off your ass and doing it. Mm. Everyone Every writer or journalist in Britain probably thinks they have a memoir in them. (laughs) Every bloke on this planet thinks they have a hilarious sitcom in Mm. them. I kind of believe we all have that in us, if I'm honest. Mm. You know, I I think it's... I don't think that my experience, if you look at my story, is anything particularly unique Mm. or wildly exciting. I think I just did it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a really, really important part is to not talk too much or think too much about stuff and just try giving it a go. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing is, is I used to be a great talker of projects, like in my early 20s. I didn't really start getting my arse into gear until my mid-20s. Okay. And I, I think that something else I've noticed is that if you talk about a project to a lot of people, you it, it will die a death mm-hmm. because you talk it, you talk about it so much you lose an intimacy with it mm. you and that project don't have a secret little exciting thing going on together everyone already knows about it <laughs> everyone's already bored about it and before like, you've even started it <laughs> and is waiting for it and yeah. yeah yeah and you get don't get it you don't get excited about it something my writing partner always says is you should always try and make writing your mistress and not your wife even when it's your full-time job you have mm. to somehow find a way of making it feel like you know it's it's you and the writing you've mm. got a relationship it's you two be you know you and the project are comrades on this thing so I think it's really important to just quietly sit and get on with it and see where it goes mm. and then all the fun glory will may come yeah <laughs> but I think uh yeah talking about stuff too much will just mean you won't get it done and as I've said from the advice I just think getting it done is half the job because the majority of people can't be bothered to get it done. So you've already got that step ahead of people. Exactly. You know, I'm so certain that there are 300,000 29-year-old girls Mm. who could have written a memoir funnier than mine with a more interesting story, the tone of it better. Um, But crucially, they didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I know that sounds very simplistic, and I'm not going to do myself down and say the only reason that I think any of my work is good is because I just do it. Mm. But I do think that makes up a, a large portion of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that takes motivation, which, you know, people find it hard to find. Where do you think your motivation comes from? Uh, this is going to be get quite dark. Oh, God. <laughs> I, have a, I have very bad death anxiety. I have a mm. crippling fear of death. Mm. And I... I'm so aware of the passing of time. And I think 
I was talking to Sally Hughes about this the other day, actually. I went on her radio show and we were talking about negative energy, about is it okay to create something or do something if you're fueled by the fact that you want to show your ex-husband that he's missing out, that you want to prove to the teacher at school that told you you couldn't do it, that you could do it, that someone who you think only does mediocre stuff but is getting really lauded for it, you want to prove, you want to make a point to yourself that you can try harder and you can do better is that okay I think it's totally okay Mm. I think it's fine and a lot of my fuel in life you know I like feeling connected to people that is a big um part of why I like creating stuff and I really like making people laugh I like you know whether it's in the pub or at my kitchen table I will try or indeed in my writing I will try desperately like the biggest goon 14-year-old loser schoolboy yeah. always to try and make people laugh. So I think that's a part of it. But honestly, I think a massive part of it is fear it's fear that life's gonna end tomorrow yeah. and or or next week or even 50 years and a desperate need to try and cram it in. And I think that's probably negative energy. Mm. But I don't mind. <laughs> I think it's it's quite a common thing. I mean, Catelyn Moran in her first book talked about that, about the minute you think there's not life after death, you won't sit and watch a box set for six hours. Yeah. Think, I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but... Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I've started, uh, as I hurtle towards 30, <laughs> I've started getting very interested in um, Buddhism and uh, I'm reading a lot about reincarnation at the moment. And I was down at the Buddhist Centre recently and I was like am I only doing this because I can't bear the thought that this is my only go? Mm. And if so, I don't know if that's a reason enough to have that as my spiritual centre and as my spiritual core inside. But there is something in me that is so fearful that I won't get all this stuff done Mm. in this life, as well as enjoy all this stuff and see all this stuff and meet all the people that I'd like to meet I'm basically such a millennial I've just got like existential FOMO about everything but I think wouldn't it be easier to know oh, well I'll just to try it next time do it in the next yeah you know when you're in Paris and you're like oh I'm not gonna be able to go to all the places and you're like oh well I'll do it next time mm-hmm. I'd love to be able to think that about existence yeah <laughs> doctor next time maybe yeah um <laughs> your second piece of advice uh I'm intrigued where this has come from it says don't cry to your boss so oh you yeah, that and and well, how did that come about? So that that piece of advice wasn't directly given to me, but it was something that I inferred from mm. something that was said to me by my first proper editor uh, when I wrote a column, and her name is Jackie Annesley at the Sunday Times Style. She was a really brilliant editor, and she was quite tough, I think, and she said to me. Oh, I kept getting it wrong with my column. It was a dating column for the Sunday Times style and it took a really long time for me to find my stride Mm. uh, with it. And I just kept missing the mark. And I was so desperate to... I wanted to have have a long relationship with that page, which I did in the end, luckily. I was there for two years, which is, you know, I was longer than I could have hoped for, really. So, but I was really, really, really keen to not be a flash in the pan with it so I really wanted to get it right and I remember there was one week where I filed the column wasn't right refiled wasn't right refiled wasn't right and I was on holiday and it was like five attempts and then it was fine and it was finally it was she said it was good and we had a meeting 
the following week and she said, you'll never know how much I respect you for not making any fuss about that. And she said, you have no idea how many writers your, your age that I've worked with, millennial writers, mm. and I'm just astonished by how personally they take things and how sensitive they are and how much I seem to upset them. And well, the, the irony was I made an enormous fuss about it. Mm. And I cried and cried and cried and I whined and I whinged but I did it to my friends and my mum. Yeah. And it was a real lesson to me that what I was doing for her in that moment was making life easy for her, Mm. which was appropriate. That Mm. was an appropriate boundary. So, yeah, I'm glad I learned it through her. So now, unless someone is really... But she wasn't wronging me. She wasn't being unfair. The writing wasn't fucking good enough. Mm. So I I wasn't fulfilling my end of the deal. Mm. So... It's not like, you know, that I obviously want to draw a line. There's a difference between, you know, abuse or bullying in the workplace. But that's not what this was. She was telling me to do my job better. And I did. So it's been a lesson to me in making sure that if I'm really hurt by not doing a job properly, which does happen a lot. I'm hugely sensitive and I have a large yet very fragile ego, as is the raison d'etre of nearly all writers. What I do now is I find a space where it's appropriate for me to be vulnerable or whingy or whiny or hurt, but then always kind of have uh, an appropriate carapace, I suppose, Mm. with the people that I work for. Mm. I think that happens to a lot of people in different workplaces, especially nowadays. We all socialise within our workplaces. Mm, It's tough. boundaries get blurred. Definitely. And I have to say... I am in a place of privilege because I have worked for myself for three years. And if I were on staff at a magazine, I see that happening a lot and I don't know how you navigate it. Mm. Yeah. Because you would be close mates with your boss and you would go to the pub and get drunk or whatever. So when your editor then sends you this devastating thing about your copy being rubbish five times over, I can see why I would find that much more difficult. Mm. Yeah. I think that also leads into your third piece of advice, which I think is so simple, but... I think could just get you so far. Just you just said, be polite and friendly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, so, and your yeah. editor obviously felt that's what you would be in, you know, <laughs> even if behind the scenes you didn't feel it. Yeah, and actually, I've got this massive insecurity that I once told my friend India about, and she said it was the most arrogant insecurity a person could have. Okay. <laughs> Where I said to her, my big fear is anything that I've got in life, career-wise, is not at all because of my any sort of talent. I worry it's because I'm quite a friendly person and like I'm just nice to have around okay because I'm because I I do I think I don't make life that difficult for people because I'm such a desperate people pleaser Mm -hmm. and I'm quite like jokey and I'm quite like I don't know I just think I can be quite pleasant yeah (laughs) and I, I I you know if needs be in a work environment and I think that people think she's like a nice old girl do the old girl a favour throw her a book deal or whatever you know I I fear that people have given me opportunities because they they thought I was you know a sweet person anyway Indy said that's very arrogant and she said it's far more likely that it would be because of my writing rather than how nice I am Um, (laughs) but it was such a it was such a specific insecurity and I remember confiding in my friend about it my friend Vanessa I told her about it and she said it, that's a really sneaky one because it's so specific. Mm. You can find a voice in you that allows you to believe that it's correct. But she was like, but no one will ever, ever think that about you. It's, mm. so, it's so deeply privately constructed that no one would ever guess that about you. And then 
someone said it about me in a review and it was the worst day yeah and actually they had no idea that it's like something that really plays on my mind but it was this Irish magazine and these two women were reviewing my book and it was like what's the big deal about everything I know about love and they both read it and they both concluded that they just didn't think it was a very good book which is totally fine for them Mm. to think that and they said Oh, God, I feel sick even saying it. Then they said, but to be fair to Dolly Alderson, she must be a really nice girl because she's managed to get so many big people to say they like it. So she must be a lovely person. So props to her for being a nice person. But it's definitely not because of the quality of the book. And that was really tough to Mm. read because uh, maybe for other people, they would just find that so laughably (laughs) cruel. Mm. But... They had no idea that that's, that's a, re- a thought that I've had basically since I was about 13. Mm. My big fear is that because, not even that I'm a nice person, but because I'm so desperate for approval, that that is what has propelled me rather than yeah. talent. It's weird though, isn't it? Because it's a mix of your friend saying it's arrogant, but it's also an underselling of yourself, isn't mm. it? Because you're mm. thinking, oh, it must be this because it can't be that. Can't be yeah. that I'm good. Yeah, well, I think well, I think a lot of women do. The only reason why I can bear my soul like this and take these very embarrassing insecurities is because I really do know that nearly every woman yeah. has shit like this going on. Mm. And the more conversations I have, the more I'm like, God, we're all just as balmy as each other when it comes to this stuff. That basically we will we will search for as many backdoor explanations as possible mm. as to why we might have had good fortune in life. Yeah. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. It's just as my friend said about me thinking that I'm Jimmy Savile. She was like, it's just so tiring. It just sounds so tiring. Yeah. But being polite and friendly, it does help. I'm so sorry. That was such a long waffle. No, going no. Off topic. Yes, I think never underestimate no. how mu- how important it is to have someone around in an office or on a project mm. who doesn't make a fuss and who makes tea and has a smile on their face I really think that people like working with people like that and I see it with particularly because I work in tv as well Mm -hmm. when we were crewing up for tv stuff for tv shows on production the number of times I would hear someone say let's get him in the sound recorder still let's get that researcher in for no other reason than Mm. they're great to have on a on a production so I think that's really important I think people overestimate I suppose it's going back to my first piece of advice. I think people overestimate the value of pure talent. Mm. And I think there are loads of times I've known for someone in authority to have hired someone because they're talented, but but also based on their disposition. Mm. And by making that decision, turning down someone who's known as being mega talented, but who's also famously really, really difficult or unpleasant. So I think it is really important to uh, I think it it increases your like your likeliness of being kind of indispensable to someone yeah. if you're nice yeah and of all the ways to get ahead in life that's a a free easy and nice good for your soul thing to do isn't it as well? it feels good mm. it feels good to be good which is a very cheesy thing to say but um it's good karmically as well I think yeah totally Grazia Life Advice is brought to you by Primark. Amazing fashion, amazing prices. Dolly's interview is packed with ideas on how to get ahead no matter what career you're in. But how about refreshing your workwear wardrobe? 
Primark is packed with key workwear trends that make it easy to stand out. I've been talking to our fashion team here at the magazine and they say it's the ideal place to find a perfect blouse or summer flat. Our best advice is to get down to your local Primark and take a look. Now, back to Dolly. Your next piece of advice, you have to give out whatever you don't have. What do you What do you mean by that? Tell us about that. So I picked this up off my friend Vanessa, who was, um, she's an actress, Vanessa Kirby. She was my first guest on my new podcast, Love Stories. And she said it during that recording. Mm. And I just can't stop thinking about it. She said, whatever you don't have in life, you should give out. So if, you, if you're desperate for a boyfriend for, to fall in love, if you meet someone wonderful mm. and you think they'd be great for your friend, you should set them up. Okay, I see. If you're at a bar with a mate and she sees a bloke across the room that she really likes, you should help her go over to him and buy him a drink. Whatever you want, give, give it to other people. Whatever you're longing for, mm. give it to other people. If you feel lonely... You should look out at a party for the person on their phone, on their own, looking lonely. And you should go give them company mm. because that's what you want. Whatever you want, you should give out. Same with writing work, same with success. I think it's a really good piece of advice and I've been thinking about it a lot. It's quite beautiful. Is it because it's karmic or is it... I mean, because as well as being karmic, it also the idea is, I guess, that it helps to solve your own mm. issues. Yeah, I think that I think that so much of self-help in um the last well, sort of since the 70s really has has become and 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 self-knowledge and and journeying through self I think has become about making yourself better. There's this phrase they say in therapy all the time and in the world of self-help where it's like you can't help anyone until you're sorted. Mm-hmm. And I sort of contest that slightly because I think that Although it's very important to look after yourself, I think a great deal of understanding yourself and loving yourself comes from connecting to others, helping others, loving others. Mm. And I think that that's a really good way to understand who you are and to understand the experience of life and human, you know, other humans, humanity. So I think the more that you can, obviously, you shouldn't be like a needless martyr, but I think it's good to look around you and see when you're in a moment of longing mm. to see people who might be in the same boat as you. Mm. And you've touched on your fifth piece of advice there, which is to be kind mm. and feel connected. Mm. Seems like it's all tied together in a way, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's very easy in the world that we live in now. I think it's very easy to just float through life as an island. Mm. Um And I think it's really important that we help other people and be compassionate. I mean, this is very basic stuff, but it's stuff I have to remind myself of. Yesterday I was in Sainsbury's and there were, there was this couple standing, we were at the herb section and there was this couple that were being like quite annoyingly all over each other. And I was like there on my own (laughs) and I was looking for mint and they didn't have mint and they were looking for Thai basil. And they seemed to be really gutted that they couldn't find Thai basil. And I kind of, my heart sank for them. I was just like eavesdropping on the conversation as I do with everything. And my heart sank for them because I think they had like planned all day that they were going to like make this certain like Thai thing or whatever. Maybe they'd just been to Thailand and they were trying to replicate something. It could be that. They seemed very excited about this thing they were making. And they were gutted. They were like, well, we have to go find something else to make if we don't have the Thai basil or whatever. So then I was walking around Sainsbury's and I just kept, 
I was just like thinking, oh, that's really sad for them. And then I saw Ty Basil on the end of one of the aisles mm. and I just picked up a couple of bunches and literally ran around Sainsbury's trying to find them. <laughs> <laughs> and I found them and I was like, guys, guys. And they just, we hadn't spoken or anything. Yeah. I was like, I found Ty Basil. <laughs> you can make your thing for dinner. And they were like, uh, yeah, cheers. Like they were just like not that bothered and obviously thought I was a creep for doing it. But it... It felt really good. Like, I'm really glad I did it because I think I just walk around so much in life thinking about myself. Um, and I think that's very much like a Western sensibility. And I'm really guilty of it, Rhiannon. Mm. Like, I can be so self-obsessed and not, like, plug into other people's experiences at all. Mm. Just think about my own. Like, sometimes I go onto my own Instagram page and just scroll back through it. Like, I'm, <laughs> like I'm reading a magazine. <laughs> So it's really important, I yeah. think, to remind yourself to like, just like plug into the world and look outwards and hear their stories and be compassionate and listen and eavesdrop in that case and, and be kind. I think it's the same, isn't it? That as well as helping others, it kind of makes you feel better in, your, in yourself as yeah. well, doesn't it? There's no harm ever done being yeah. kind. Definitely, definitely. Mm. And your final piece of best advice so eat when you're hungry, drink when you're thirsty, sleep when you're tired. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, I guess. But tell me about They're how that relates to They're quite basic bitch, these advice, this I advice, like. isn't it? Well, if we were all doing them, we'd all be highly successful, I'm sure. <laughs> this is like the rosé wine and box sets of, <laughs> of advice. I love both of those things. Okay, good. So basically, I heard this weirdly. Louis Theroux said it on Adam Buxton's podcast. Yeah. I love that one. It's a great one, isn't it? Well, they've done a few really great episodes. And he said it in reference to... They were talking about alcohol consumption, and he said it. And I think about it all the time because I'm someone who has definitely disconnected from their body before. I've sought myriad ways to kind of anaesthetise myself from the truth of what I'm feeling or my fears or my thoughts or my anxieties, be that with alcohol or drugs or food. And, you know, I've also, I suffered from an eating disorder in my early twenties. And uh, something that I realized in the wake of that, Ruby Tando said this to me when I interviewed her actually, which really resonated is she said, if you spend so long divorced from your body mm. and you're not listening to at all what it wants and instead you're, holding something in your head maybe it's a picture of you in a bikini or how you're going to be happier when you're this person and you see the smile on the face of this person that doesn't exist of how much happier you're going to be when you're three stone lighter or the face of someone who rejected you or even just a sense of of control mm. if you do that then it means the only way that you can you can fulfill that mission is you just have to like turn off a switch in your head that connects you to your appetite and then what happens is when you go into recovery mm. is your body's just so confused as to what it wants and what it can have and what it can't have and what it can process and what. So it's uh, been a really important thing for me to just reconnect my head to the rest of my body mm. in so many ways. I just so often ignore the signals or carry on working really really late when I know that I haven't had more than five hours sleep in three days and you know I'm very aware that I'm saying all this stuff but for a lot of people this is second nature mm -hmm. but for me I just need to really be 
listening to what my body wants and respecting that. And it's like a fine balance. And I'm at my happiest when I'm mindful Mm -hmm. of how I'm feeling physically and how best to nourish myself. And yeah, that's why I think that's such a good piece of advice. It's so simple, Mm -hmm. but it's just, it really is as simple as that really. Life can be, and well-being is as simple as that. Eat when you're hungry, sleep when you're tired, drink when you're thirsty. Yeah, because was Louis talking about it when he was talking about the addict? Uh, he worked on a show about alcohol addiction. He was talking, yeah, exactly. But I think it's interesting that you draw that it's that comparison because we're all we are addicted in a way to this idea of not of denying ourselves and not eating and mm. not doing this and not doing that and mm. doing what's best for us. So mm. yeah, I mean, it's I, yeah. tough to break. How do you think that you managed to break it? It's just like daily. It's totally a daily thing. As it, but but the only way that I can um, compare. It like the daily habit of it is you know when you walked in and you said my flat is tidy this is so much hard work to get my flat tidy mm-hmm. naturally the propensity I have is to live in a mess but I know that living in a mess makes me miserable mm-hmm. so from today until the day I die keeping my room tidy keeping my flat tidy keeping it clean being organized having a to-do list making sure I get everything done is a daily habit Mm -hmm. and actually it becomes more and more subconscious as I get on but there are some people like my best friend Farley just it's so natural to her to just do that she she's the person who like every night without thinking puts her outfit laid out for the next day I'm just not that girl but I but I know that I need that level of order I need massive amounts of order in my life I thought I thrived in chaos and I don't I need Mm -hmm. quite a regimented life so it's just something that I have to be mindful of every day. I can't take my eye off the ball with it, really. And that doesn't make me sad. That not in a control freak way. It's just something I have to be aware of. And it's exactly the same with well-being for me and physical well-being. So it's certainly not something I obsess over anymore, thank God. But it's something that I have to... You know, let's say I have three deadlines. Mm-hmm. My natural inclination would be to drink black coffee maybe have a couple of fags, maybe a couple of apples, and then maybe a Domino's at midnight. <laughs> so I have to fight that urge. Yeah. I have to, I have to like make sure that I'm aware of being my own parent, basically. Mm. Get up and get some fresh air and go for a run around the park and then come back and then have yogurt. And then, and it, I, I need that to thrive. And I feel so much better. I've accepted that I need to be conscious of that. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen on its own. Basically. I love the idea of being your own parent. Yeah. Yeah. Totally new. See what you mean by that. Um, and we always like to finish on probably the worst piece of advice you've mm. been given or that you've heard. Um, and I, you know, I can totally see where you're coming from. You say being a yes person or being told to say yes to everything. Yeah. Mm. What, what about that is a problem for you? What do you... I think it's like the shittest advice. <laughs> I long to be a no person. That's what I would really like. I think, first of all, the thing about saying yes is I think it means you can create, like, work-wise, I think that means you can do stuff before you're ready. And I think that can be super detrimental. So Nora Ephron in her last... There's a book called The Last Interviews with Nora Ephron. It's like a really great, useful, like quite thin little paperback of her just giving out these amazing pearls of wisdom. And something she said is, a misinformed piece of advice is to take massive opportunities that are huge dreams of yours 
before you're ready to do them. Mm. Because you know in your heart if you're ready for something. If you screw it up, it means that you take 10 steps back and you might not ever be able to do it again. And also what it shows is, especially with women, a very, a, a deep-rooted insecurity and, and sort of a, a layer of patriarchy because it's basically saying, oh my God, you're so lucky you've been given this opportunity, fucking, whether it's right or not, whether it's the right time or whether you feel right for it or it's the right context, just jump, just jump, take it, panic, take it because you might not ever get that again. Mm. I just don't agree with that. I just think like there are a couple of times in my life where I've done stuff before I was ready and it was disastrous and really knocked my confidence. So I think that's really important. And in terms of being a yes person, I think boundaries are like really underrated. And I think saying yes to everything will make you so tired Mm. and not really knowing who you are and lacking integrity and sort of lost and frazzled, whether that be social stuff, work stuff, traveling and skint as well, if you say yes to everything. Yeah. So I think positivity is great. And I think a curiosity to experience new things is great, but I think definitely have your own parameters in which to explore that mm. because otherwise I think life can just feel so overwhelming it takes a confidence to say no doesn't it and mm. I do agree with you about specifically being a problem women suffer from because it takes a confidence to actually not feel scared you're gonna upset somebody yeah or, you yeah know, or that as you say it's never gonna come again that's it and actually with work stuff there's a phrase which I'm sure everyone's already familiar with which is like in Hollywood the sexiest word you can say is no okay and I think I try and keep that in my mind. Not as a game of power play at all, but I very much have this freelancer mentality of like every single piece of work that flies my way, I have to grab. And I can never get so complacent and arrogant that I think I'm better than the work. I have to take every piece of work that comes. And it's just so detrimental. And I cannot continue working like that. Like I've finally drawn a line under it, really within the last couple of months. Mm. And something I've realised is saying no feels really good. Not, as I said, not if you're just like being a, <laughs> being a coquette or like playing games, yeah. then that feels rubbish. But saying no to something because you have confidence that it's not the right thing and another opportunity will surface in the future when it feels right and mm. it's more on your terms, it just feels really good. And you literally just, these opportunities that, I was so scared of like, I would see them physically like scarper off in front of me. It's now I just see them fly away. Yeah. And I'm like, that's totally fine. Let it go. Let it free. Another one will come if I work hard. Brilliant. Well, thanks for saying yes to us today, Dolly. I think there's amazing advice. Oh, thank you. So that's it for our first episode of Grazia Life Advice. Thank you so much to Dolly for her time and advice. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you got something from it. Why not tweet us, hashtag Grazia Life Advice and let us know. We hope you'll subscribe, rate, review us, do all of that. It really, really helps. So thank you. And we hope you come back for next week's episode with the brilliant presenter, Maya Jama. We had a really good chat with her. Thanks again to our friends at Primark for their support and to David Dobson for our lovely jingle. We look forward to seeing you next week for more advice from Women Worth Listening To. Listener.